Welcome to Episode 5 of Once Upon a Lifetime. Welcome back. This is our fifth and final episode of Audrey Hepburn, and we do suggest you go back and listen to Episodes 1 through 4 if you haven't already. Today we pick up with Audrey having just completed Breakfast at Tiffany's and being a new mom, at long last. Unfortunately, her marriage is on the rocks. Okay, 1964, she spent trying to give Mel and her marriage the attention that she thought could heal it. Though she was absolutely exhausted, she followed Mel everywhere, trying to stay close to him. And to make matters worse, a lot of his films are really low budget because he's just you know, not a success. He's like a B, C list. <laughs> He's on the, like, the artsy European movie circuit. Not a lot of moolah. Yeah. So she follows him around, and she is scrubbing. She's literally scrubbing. She's serving food. She is lending a hand on set. She's living in these really difficult conditions. Why? Because she wants to save her marriage. And does she have Sean with her? Yeah, and Gina. Gina is the nanny. Okay. Well, at least there's Gina. There's always Gina. Everybody should have a Gina. If willpower was going to heal this marriage, then it would have done it. At this point, Sean is four, and she has done, she's really done everything she can. I mean, it makes sense if your marriage is falling apart to buy a house with your spouse, right? You've had the baby, that didn't fix it. Maybe if you get a house and settle down. You never know. So that's what they do. They decide they're going to move out of the German-speaking part of Switzerland into the French- speaking part of because she did not want her son going to a German speaking school. This is one of those little war remnants that yeah. kind of pop up. Well, her sons have said that she did not allow anything German made in the house either. So she still had some bones to pick. Sean did say that his mom wanted to live in Switzerland because there would never be a war in Switzerland. And when they bought the estate that they bought, they named it La Passible which means the peaceful place. Clearly, this desire for peace and stability is still running very, very deep in her. This was her primary place of residence until her death. And she took great joy in putting down roots, making her garden. Planting's an investment. It says something when you decide to till the ground. She ends up gardening her whole life, and she ends up dying in this house. So this is it, her final resting place. At this point, of course, it's her just current resting place, but it ends up being both. So two professional slash personal things happen to her. Henry Rogers had been her publicist and very good friend for many, many years. And the reason I tell this story is because I think it's a good illustration of what was happening with her and Mel at this point. Okay, so Mel is annoyed that Givenchy was using Audrey's image and her name to sell a high-end perfume. Basically, this perfume was created by Givenchy for Audrey for her personal use. For years, it it wasn't sold in stores. She told him, you know, every time I wear this perfume, people comment on it. They think, oh, I should sell it. She says to him in French, oh, I forbid you, which became the name forbidden. La interdit. Inject French speaking sound here. No, we cannot. It's (laughs) all you. No. (laughs) If you say interdit, that is what we say. Sound good? Sounds good to me. Is that it? 
I think so. I have no idea. You are uh, looking at a non-French yeah. speaker. Non-French. Sure. I am from the German-speaking side of things. This podcast cannot pronounce French, so if you are better at it, oh, let please. us know. Write your complaints to us phonetically, please, so we can understand. <laughs> After a while, she does kind of give her blessing, or, or she's fine. She's, she's fine. Best friend selling this perfume. She has no problem with Hubert selling this. She wants to help a friend. Hubert is her friend. In fact, her BFF. So anyway, they're talking about this. Mel and Henry Rogers, who's over for the evening, they're talking about it. And she leaves the room to go put Sean to bed. Well, Mel then tells Rogers, I need you to ask for remuneration from Hubert for this perfume. Then Mel tells Rogers... I don't want Audrey going to that Ken Film Festival. There's a big film festival in Ken, France. And I don't want her going unless there's some kind of like thing in it for her. You know, she said she'd go to it, but like make this good for her. And this is just this example of like Mel is always putting her forward. She's the cash cow and he wants to milk it. I think I think he has okay. I don't think it's quite that mercenary because I think he actually has great ambition for himself and for her. I'm not sure that it's it's like, oh, I want money. It's like it's the prestige, I think, for him. I want to be, be someone and I want seriously. her to be someone. Yeah. Like we need to be someone. And it's the business side of the deal. He's a dealer. He's a wheeler and a dealer, you know? So he's like, we should get something out of this. If she's gonna go down there to Ken, come on, you know, we should get something out of this. So he tells Rogers to do this. Favre Lebret, the director of the festival, feels blackmailed by this. He's like, well, geez, I just wanted her to come down and give an award or be a speaker or something. I'm not sure what it was. but And he ends up calling Audrey and telling her. She also hears somehow through the grapevine about Givenchy being willing to give her money for the use of her image and her name to sell the perfume. And both episodes leave her up all night weeping and just so distraught she feels completely betrayed by henry rogers that he would do this like this is so against her own character her own character is very generous and not pecuniary and not attention seeking so she actually calls rogers up and weeping and she says she wants to remain friends but she doesn't want to work with him anymore because the fact that he would take mel's advice over what she would want means this this can't work between her and rogers so rogers is caught between audrey's private reserved temperament and mel's ambition for his wife and he's kind of this casualty and they do end up remaining friends which says something about both of them yeah he's he's no longer her publicist which poor guy i mean i don't know maybe he shouldn't listen to mel and then on top of all of this she also has her fourth pregnancy third miscarriage Uh. bam right in the middle of all of this, and it just crushes her. So she actually, in a letter she sends to her dad, she says, only a thin layer separates me from a complete breakdown. There is much to go through still, and I pray God for strength and gentleness. So she takes several months off. She just walks. She is in nature. And then she writes him another note, and she says, I walk every morning and swim in the afternoon. Also take massages and sleep lots. Am well again and not so sad anymore. Woman just gets crushed. And I will say here, it seems, I I have tried to keep the rumors of like Audrey affairs 
kind of to a minimum if I think that they are unfounded. But it seems like there's a pretty well-documented affair at this point. And so here she is. She's at the end of her marriage with Mel. She has a pretty blatant affair with Albert Finney, who is seven years her junior. Uh, she's pretty desperately unhappy. She looks for solace through this affair. Many who worked for her at the time said that a new Audrey appeared. She seemed extroverted and giggly and freer. Although this underlying sadness at the breakup of her marriage was also sort of present. Like, she's just in this sort of weird place. This is a in-between period of her life. She gets pregnant again. Pregnancy number five. It ends in miscarriage. She and Mel are now having public marriage troubles. It's now out there. She has her fourth miscarriage. They're divorced by 1968 after 13 years. Her son, Sean, in retrospect, says they were both responsible for the failed marriage. She for projecting onto it something that wasn't and he for not being able to get over himself on some level. It's very insightful. I think they really had different goals. Uh, it's almost like a success versus domestic kind of thing. She being the domestic side, he being the success side. And he really did not ever get behind being Mr. Hepburn. He just couldn't really get over it. So Audrey's marriage with Mel is basically ended. And Mel has this to say. He says, I still don't know what the difficulties were. Audrey's the one who asked for the divorce and started the affair with Andrea Dotti. That's outrageous. Outrageous. Takes two to tango, buddy. Not buying it. So basically, here's the deal. Uh, Audrey meets Dr. Andrea Dotti, and he is a charming psychiatrist. She meets him and has this conversation with him about how to minimize the effects of divorce, the impeding divorce with Mel for the sake of Sean, like how can she better help Sean navigate these waters? Because she herself had so much trauma from her parents' broken marriage that she wants to make this easy. So she has these long conversations with the charming Andrea Dotti. She was a friend of a friend. They they meet on a vacation and she's really smitten with him. So he specializes in treating women with depression. And yes, right? So Audrey is really taken with his whole demeanor. She finds him both lively and soothing. They get married a few weeks, a few weeks after her divorce with Mel is finalized. Do you think she just clung to him because she didn't want to leave Sean without a father? I think it was a rebound, essentially. And another grasp at security. I mean, something like stability. And something really different than what she had before. I mean, I think that I I had this industry guy, this fancy actor guy who took me under his wing and taught me all the acting things. You know, and now this guy's like a regular world guy. But who claims to know about depressed women and he'll take me under his wing and help me not be depressed. Like being a psychiatrist, he'll teach me how not to hurt. Yeah. And they meet on vacation. Mm -hmm. I mean, who doesn't want to stay on vacation forever? Right. Here's here's the wedding dress. It's 1969. And I can describe for you. It's a short pink little mini dress. It's also Givenchy. It's got a little funnel neck here and a woolen headscarf thing going on. It's just, it's very late 60s, not wearing white for this wedding. So you would think, okay, we've got a psychiatrist here. How bad can he be? But the well, problem he's is... Italian. He's, he's unabashedly <laughs> is that Italian. instantly a problem, Alexis? I'm oh, for say, me, it is an instant I know, I know for you it is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So Andrea says, I was no angel. Italian husbands have never been famous for being faithful. Hey, so thank you. It's not just me. He agrees. He 
He's like, don't marry an Italian. Right. I think someone has mentioned that Andrea's problem was just basically a zipper problem. Oh. Yeah. So initially, she is going to the discos with him, trying to be out and about and kind of get in his world a little bit. But she is pregnant again four months after this marriage. She is so protective. She is not going to be following Andrea around. During the pregnancy, moves back to La Bicible. Where had they moved? Was she in Italy? She had been in Rome. Oh, okay. With him. She had this fear of the miscarriages. This is her sixth pregnancy. Only one has resulted in a live birth. So she goes back to Switzerland. And already, already, there are hints that Doty is stepping out on her. Even before the birth, there are actually gossip column articles with accompanying pictures of Andrea Dotti out with ladies. So uh, I'm not going to say that my Italian man prejudice is warranted, but this case does nothing to help the Italian man in my (laughs) estimation. (laughs) So Dotti says, well, she was jealous of other women, even from the beginning. (laughs) Go Uh, figure. (laughs) Wow. Go figure. She did not pick a winner. For right. someone specializing in treating with women with problems, he seems to have no idea about the female psyche. So, 1970, February 8th, Luca Doti is born by C-section. Right away, Audrey moves back to Rome with both of the boys, sets up making a house. They live in a penthouse. Doti is from a reasonably wealthy family. He himself is reasonably wealthy. I mean, here she is. She's like, oh, another crappy marriage. Let me fix it. By being the perfect wife. By being domestic. That'll solve it all. Right. So she cooks lunch for her husband every day. She occasionally visits him at the university that he's teaching at, working in psychology there. So for the next five years, she basically does not leave his side. She is there. Even spending sweltering summers in Rome. She's not even visiting her best, best friend, Givenchy. She is shopping in Rome, not going to Paris. And, you know, Hubert was such a close friend. I wonder if she didn't want to have his advice at that time in her life. Yeah, maybe not. It's remarkable that she, like, for these five years, she just shops in Rome and and she's trying to make it be what she wants it to be. Audrey Hepburn receives film offers and Mrs. Doty refuses them. She attends medical conferences with him, Instead of working on films, she's like, no, no, I will go with you to this medical conference. I mean, that just just screams like scared. She actually says, personally, I need a lot of loving, being loved and giving love. Love does not terrify me, but the going away of it does. That's kind of like the quote of her life. It really kind of is. And you just have to hate with such a vengeance these men. The men who step out on her after knowing her... Her deep woundedness in that way. particular wounds. Oh, it's hard. It's really hard to forgive or move on or kind of be fair. Every story has two sides, but it feels very one-sided at this point. Though she's not in the movies, she's still followed constantly by the paparazzi. I mean, that is one thing she complains about. She, She says, I couldn't even go to the park with my children without people taking pictures of us. But luckily, I did have some good friends who had yards, so we could go and play in their gardens. But Doty seems to like this attention, actually, and invite it. It's almost like, oh, I've got this movie star celebrity wife. Why wouldn't I put this forward? So he's super not protective of her. 
And that's just another one of those. This is not a match. She does really actually want to protect her. That is one of her deals. The only thing she does during this whole doti period of time is the UNICEF TV special, which is really a kind of foreshadowing of what I like to call the third act of the Audrey Hepburn life, but we'll get there. So the fifth decade, 1974, she's pregnant and suffers her fifth miscarriage. She ends up actually doing a movie at this point called Robin and Marion. She says about this movie, I had to defend the romance. Someone had to fight for Marion. She also was underweight, had to drink a bunch of beer to balance it out. Poor dear. She flew home every weekend. The movie's weird. Sean Connery, right? It is. And like old Robin is like an old man Robin. He returns from the Crusades to an old woman, Marion, who's the abbess of this kind of alternative priory. And... Yeah. Just the premise sounds so funny. It's so weird. Sure. He comes back. He's like, so did you miss me? <laughs> <laughs> and this was a whole movie. It's oh, a yeah. whole movie. Wow. It's weird. A depressing oh, dear. Movie. There's it's a reason you never awful. heard of it. Um, oh, and it ends with them. I mean, spoiler alert, in case you wanted to go see this terrible movie. They see that they cannot turn back the clock on their romance. And so they commit suicide together. Like a Romeo and Juliet, but not. At any rate, at the premiere in New York, thousands of people were chanting, we love you, Audrey. Uh And it just brought her to tears. And it's just this another example of this insecurity that runs so deep. She just is constantly astonished that people like her. She also presents an Academy Award at the Oscars and receives a standing ovation just for presenting her, for an her award. being there. Yes. <laughs> so I think it pleased her a lot, you know, after all these years of kind of being away from the screen, to be received so warmly is a big deal. Weird, sad, strange turn of events is that they start receiving a lot of kidnapping threats about the boys. And then Audrey, who's already had this fear. So this is what I mean. I I feel as if I need to research this. There must be something happening. Well, this is in Rome. And I think that a lot of prominent people were being kidnapped in Rome at this time. And so Audrey and Dodie are like just one of several being targeted because it was a quick way of making money for, you know, this criminal underworld. Right. Or really, very upsetting. So after these threats start coming, she moves both of the boys to Switzerland And almost immediately after her move, Andrea himself is kidnapped. He's almost kidnapped. He actually screams, yells, alerts these security guards who are nearby, and they save him from a physical, like, there are people dragging him away. Wow. And he is saved from this abduction attempt. So Audrey is not about to leave Switzerland. She's like, forget it, I'm never going back there again. And almost right away, Dodie starts seeing all these other women. And it's all over the newspapers. She's pregnant. So just the poor woman. She does two bad movies, Bloodline and They All Laughed. The critics said about They All Laughed that the movie grates on the nerves like a 78 RPM record played at 33 RPM. That can't be good, even though I don't know much a whole lot about RPMs. (laughs) That just sounds like it would be bad. There is this story about her having this weird love moment with this younger co-star, Ben Gazzara, who apparently broke her heart. I did not see it substantiated. I don't know if it's true. So I'm not going to pass it along, but I'm not trying to ignore it either. She also met up with Robert Wolders, who was grieving over the death of his partner, Merle Oberon. He was Dutch and had lived through the war. He was kind. He was gentle. He was supportive. 
and uncompetitive and a new kind of man in her life. So yeah, the interesting thing is that Robert Walters is significantly younger than Andre and his partner, Merle Oberon, I think he was at least 25 years younger than Merle. He marries Merle and he seems to be, I feel like the star whisperer. He has this demeanor that is just very comforting. Particularly to older women. Yes. Mm. And it's interesting when you see photos of Audrey and Robert Walters, he has always his arm on her protectively. Like it just seems like you would just see like a horse trainer with like a very high strung horse. He just has a way of being protective, but without that kind of possessive way that you see with Mel. It's like protective without being controlling. So is this her first win? Her first man win. It is kind of. And sadly, it doesn't really happen until her last decade of life. She's a better person than that. You can just see her striving to make these relationships work. And they just haven't until now. But he seems like a good man. She's happy. She's very happy. They actually move into La Passible together. This is in 1981. They move in together. Andrea and her don't divorce till 83 when Andrea wants to get remarried. Andrea, when when he notices that something must be going on in her life, he says to her, you look very beautiful. You must be in love. She says, I am. They just kind of have reached that point where they're having other relationships. The marriage is just, it's dead. It's been dead for a little while. Audrey says, my idea of heaven is Robert, my two sons at home. I hate separations. And the dogs, a good movie, a wonderful meal, and great television all coming together. I'm really blissful when that happens. My goal was not to have huge luxuries. As a child, I wanted a house with a garden, which I have today. And this is what I dreamed of. She just wants to be at home. So maybe this is the years of her hidden years. She's at home doing her thing, doing what makes her happy with someone who makes her happy watching her kids grow up. Yeah, she seems really happy at this point. So then it's in 88 that she's nearly 60, and she's invited to work as a goodwill ambassador for UNICEF, which is an international organization that brings relief to children who are caught in war or other natural disasters. So she agrees to be this goodwill ambassador for one year. Yeah, this actually is my favorite part of Audrey's life. She says, since the world has existed, there has been injustice, but it is one world, the more so as it becomes smaller, more accessible. There's just no question that there is a moral obligation for those who have to give to those who have nothing. And so she sort of spends this next period of her life going everywhere. And the list is rather impressive. Ethiopia, Turkey, Venezuela, Ecuador, Guatemala, Honduras, the Sudan. And in every place, she's just, whether it's helping with vaccination efforts or feeding kids or relief efforts. I mean, it's just the pictures you see, it's all just her there smiling with these kids. It's, I don't know. I love it. I love this part of her life. She's there and she's got a low ponytail, no makeup, just like scrubbed face, just t-shirt, jeans. There's no Givenchy. There's no, not that I I mean, I love that part of her too, Mm -hmm. but this is just like the absolute human inside the the image. Actress. I mean, in my mind, it's like the person that she wanted to be. There was one quote that I really love that said, she would see a crowd of needy people and know which one to go over and which one to smile at. And it said she was like a white angel coming down to earth, almost like glowing that she was, that they just loved her. They did. And they didn't love her because of Roman holiday. No. They'd never seen that. No, it was a smile. It was that they felt like she really did care. And that part 
was shocking to me. I had no idea that that was even part of who she was as a person or whatever. And to, to sort of discover it and watch some of the clips and hear her talk about how meaningful that part of her life was. <laughs> yeah. And not only was it meaningful, she actually says, I auditioned for this job for 45 years and I finally got it. Yeah. I love that quote from her because you just see her in this phase being who she had always wanted to be. And you can just see like Ella has controlled her for a long time. Then Mel controlled her for a long time. She was trying so hard to save her marriages. This is her free. This last decade of her life is her, I think, free doing what she would have been doing all along had she been able to have enough freedom to, to be that person earlier. I just love the quote where she says, UNICEF is keeping me going and young. Just gives her so much purpose. And it's just so interesting to think that she firsthand knows what a difference those helping hands can make. Because as a child, those food packages and that practical help coming to her in Arnhem, it literally saved her life. And I think at this point, it's really saving her again in a different way. Absolutely. To her story, there's such a full circle she starts as this starveling from the Nazis, grows into this incredible star. She ends again helping with starving children in natural disasters or war-torn countries and speaking for them. So she's invited to be a UNICEF ambassador for one year. She actually goes to them and says, can I continue? I want to keep doing this. And Robert ends up being her secretary hired by UNICEF to deal with all of the logistics, the airplanes and the schedules and help her write her speeches. And, you know, he's her her right-hand man. And she says multiple times, I couldn't do this without him. He's he's a huge part of this. He is so supportive. And you have to think, okay, it's, it's a little odd that he's always with these older <laughs> these older women, but he just really has this supportive nature that I think that when you reach that point in your life where you've gone through so many things, so much fame, so many disappointments. Maybe you want somebody by your side that you just, all you need is some stability and some support. And someone to let you be you, yes. the way you want to be you. You seem to know how right. to do that. Here she is in UNICEF working 20 hours a day, seven days a week, seven to eight months a year. And she does that for about a decade. She's just all over the place. She took it so seriously, the speeches she would give. She wouldn't just receive kind of canned speeches from UNICEF. She really wanted to understand the political situation in these really complicated countries. I mean, these are places where the political situation is a nightmare. Nothing, nothing. Extremely complicated. And I love that she would tr really try to bone up on all of this detailed information about these factions and sex and like who's doing what so that she could answer intelligently questions about how to um, how to help these people. She was even, you know, accused that they've always, I think this is so stupid, but I love her response to it. So I'm going to share it. Someone came up to her with the objection. There've always been suffering children. And perhaps one merely prolongs their suffering by treating them. And Audrey shoots back. Okay, let's start with your grandchild. Don't buy antibiotics if he has pneumonia. Don't take him to the hospital if he has an accident. It's against life against humanity to think like that. She's just ready with her answers. Yeah. I love this one. If people are still interested in me, if my name makes them listen to what I want to say, then that is wonderful. But I'm not interested in promoting Audrey Hepburn these days. I'm interested in telling the world about how they can help in Ethiopia and why I came away feeling optimistic. So I love her in this role. I mean, it's so comforting to people who don't want life to end with whatever their 
primary role in life has been, whatever they identify with, whether it's being a mother or an accountant. It's just so nice to think like you can have a third act. Especially every sort of stay-at-home mom or anybody who invests a lot of time in their career or their kids or both sort of does have a like, now what? And her now what ended up to me being like the sort of shining moment of her life. Absolutely. And that full circle, that kind of giving back what you once received. 1992, she's 63. In that September of 92, she's in Somalia doing what she does, but this time she's racked with pain. She stays in Somalia. She doesn't actually go to the doctor. She just stays there. In November, she was told that she had cancer of the colon, and her son, Sean, actually had to deliver the news that she only had a few months to live. He says that she looked out the window and simply said, oh, how disappointing. She was in California when she was given the news and received the diagnosis. They actually, they couldn't take an airline. The problem is, is that with Audrey's medical condition, they felt that the pressurization of the air travel be fatal to her in some way. And so Givenchy sends his private jet to take Audrey from California to Switzerland back to La Possible. She had to go on the private jet. Givenchy had it filled with flowers. And they take her on a slow, slow descent. The pilots know that they have to do this very, very carefully. And it was an absolute risk, but Audrey was willing to take it. She was desperate to have Christmas, her last Christmas, with her boys at home. Right. And in that December, that same December, in absentia, because she was now back at La Pacible with her boys, she's actually awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by the President of the United States for her UNICEF work. And this is the award that she points to as the highest achievement of her life. The Oscars, the Tonys, just old news. But this is the one. This is the one she really cares about. And so 1993, she spends a Christmas, one last Christmas with Robert and the boys at La Passible. And she says to them, this was the best Christmas of my life. This was wonderful. It was just very peaceful, very relaxed. Not a whole lot else. She would have them take her outside and lay her on the chase so she could see the the shafts of sunlight through the mountains and just take it all in one last time. And you could just see she was just really savoring those moments, not taking anything for granted. And as a Christmas gift for the important men in her life, for her boys, for Givenchy and for Walters, she gives them each a winter coat because she wants them to kind of feel wrapped in her love, because she knows she's going to be leaving them. So she actually dies on January 20th, 1993. And that is the end of Audrey Hepburn. Givenchy was the executor of her will, and Mel Farrar came to the funeral. They really had only spoken on two occasions. I think Mel felt a little awkward joining the mourners, but Sean made sure to kind of pull him into the fold. And interestingly, for all the people that maybe thought that this younger partner that Robert Wilders was in it for the money. In her will, all he received was two silver candlesticks. He carried on a lot of her work. Who's the modern Audrey? I'm wondering if some people think that it is Angelina Jolie. I mean, okay, I could see that. You know, with all the adopting of the children and the wayfish thinness, the whole new look paparazzi obsession but i'll try to hold on to this marriage to yeah the actress turned philanthropist but just a whole different demeanor if you just google audrey hepburn one of the first things that pops up is being an audrey in a kardashian world it doesn't say being an angelina in a kardashian world right what about like a Meghan markle 
cute actress, you know, then marries the royal family. Now she's doing all this humanitarian stuff. Right. Like Kate Middleton, Meghan Markle, like fashion obsession. It seems to me more like a time will tell. I wonder if Princess Diana was someone who kind of understood unfortunate marriages, a reluctant fame, being devoted to your children and doing humanitarian um, work. She And being iconic and, and being you know, fashion-wise. Pretty much well-loved. Right, yeah. Even so, I really tend to think that none of these people come close to Audrey Hepburn's broad appeal and international celebrity. And in any case, I hope that we have accomplished our goal today of acquainting a larger group of people with our friend, with our friend Audrey, because it's hard to get to know her without just really liking her. I hope you've given some flesh to the image. Join us next time as we discuss Eunice Kennedy Shriver and visit us at onceuponalifetimepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.